Welcome to Circle Sanctuary Network Podcast, brought to you by Circle Sanctuary, one of the oldest nature spirituality churches in the United States, connecting people of nature-centered paths around the world. Join us through the week for a variety of shows discussing various topics, celebrating the divine in all of its forms, through nature worship, rituals, education, and building bridges of community. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Blue Marble Podcast. I'm your host, Rev Charbert. Thanks for tuning in. Here, we try to keep it real by highlighting real-life stories about climate impacts, solutions, sustainable living, and basically how we want to live in good relationship to the planet we care so much about. And today, my special guest is Reverend Dree Amandi, preferred pronouns, she, her. Dree has been working magic for over 25 years. Born in Wasanich, British Columbia, Canada, the Wasanich people's traditional territory, she now resides in the Pacific Northwest of the United States, where she is a certified level two professional aromatherapist, writer, educator, and circle sanctuary minister. Her spiritual practice has evolved over the years, but is always focused on healing magic rooted in gratitude. Dree, welcome, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I remember we both live in California, and we've come far and wide. We've spent a lot of time in the Pacific Northwestern part of the United States between Canada and uh, the Puget Sound area. I know we've both really loved the evergreen landscape, boreal forests, and um, we've both been seeing it change over the past decade, especially. So let's start by, you know, let me ask you, what was it like for you growing up in Canada? Mm-hmm. So I grew up on the Saanich Peninsula. Um, as you said, this is the Saanich people's traditional territory. And um, so I was really blessed. Um, It was easy access to incredible nature landscapes um, in every direction. Um, In my childhood home, I could walk just five minutes and be at the ocean and uh, walk in the opposite direction, end up at more ocean because it's this little tip on Vancouver Island. So um, I feel incredibly blessed and I feel uh, lucky that I had access to that type of nature, but also, um, that experience growing up and having, um, so much time outside, I believe is how my spirituality kind of manifested itself. It's undeniably magical there. Um, particularly for me on Vancouver Island in many different places, um, It just feels powerful in a way that um, I haven't experienced anywhere else. Um, And across the Pacific Northwest, it's there's a similar kind of vibe, of course, as you mentioned, with um, the kind of water, the ocean, the freshwater access, the evergreen forests. That's similar, but um, as a child on the island, it was unique and really special. Mm. Well, and I'm 
I'm not from that area like you, so I've only uh, read a little bit about and visited uh, some of the boreal forest ecozone that people tend to associate with that part of the world. And I know, of course, that's a vast region, mm-hmm. which goes all the way across you know, the hemisphere. It even goes over across Scotland and over into Russia, that same sort of um, bioregion, I would say. So when I'm thinking about some of the things you talk about that landscape um it's really dominated by coniferous forests Um, i'm thinking spruce there are a lot of wetlands bogs fens you know we think about that really in places like scotland and maybe parts of sweden but um i'm also thinking about and correct me but some of the conifers are like white and black spruces. There's mm-hmm. a lot of jack pine, mm-hmm. balsam fir, which is different than further down, like in S- in Cascadia. But um, are are those some of the trees that you came to know? Some of the plant species you came to know there? Mm-hmm. I think um, the Douglas fir is particularly mm-hmm. special to me. Um, And there's a really interesting story that I was told, I can't remember what grade I was in, but I know I was somewhere between K and five, grade Mm -hmm. K and five. (laughs) And, um, and one of the ways for us to identify it was this legend um, where there were these mice that lived in the area and Mm -hmm. the mice were being chased by a great cat and Mm -hmm. they ran up the Douglas fir to seek refuge from this great cat and Mm -hmm. they hid in the cones Mm -hmm. and the cat scratched its big claws down the tree and you can identify it by um, looking at the cone and it looks like there's a little mouse butt sticking out it looks like a little mouse butt with two feet and a tail um, several of them on the cone and then these deep grooves that kind of ooze resin um, on the the bark of the tree so that really stands out to me as (laughs) significant and beautiful yeah yeah I've never uh, heard that but they look like that they do right yeah so um that's special to me also um of course cedar which was very important culturally for that area Mm. um absolutely critical um for several reasons i mean clothing and baskets and just just endless things um Mm -hmm. and uses for the cedar there and um also a further Mm -hmm. a little bit further north um I think a lot of the kind of undergrowth and the deep ferns and mosses and lichens that is really um, an integral part of the Pacific Northwest. I think that is really special. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you started there and then uh, I met you in Silicon Valley, but now you've migrated back to the Puget Sound area, which is in the state of Washington and the Pacific Northwest. And uh, I also lived in the Seattle area for about 10 years there and love the San Juans that go right on up to uh, 
uh, British Columbia and the Vancouver area. So what what brought you to where you are now, to the Puget Sound? Why there? Here, um, because it feels like home and it's closer to our families. Um, I think that in the other places we've lived in the world, um, on the East Coast of the U.S. and as you mentioned in the Silicon Valley, also we lived in Europe for several years. Um, it It's a mild climate, so we don't generally get extreme temperatures, although mm-hmm. we'll talk a little bit more about that and how mm-hmm. much that has changed in the last you know, decade or a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. And um, that um, that allows us to be outside all year round comfortably. So we can do all kinds of hiking and exploration. It doesn't matter when. So I think that really is what drawed us back here, drew us back here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I did my undergraduate degree in Eugene, Oregon. And then, you know, afterward, I went into the military service and was was traveling far and wide, came back and went to Seattle for for graduate school training um, and stayed for 10. So so it was kind of like vocational work pulled me there. But I, too, love the Pacific Northwest and for the longest time really thought of that as as home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought of that whole area in terms of uh, evergreen forests, orcas, uh, bald eagles, salmon. And the thing that dominated all of that, aside from evergreens, were, was water, just water, 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 fresh, crisp water, water everywhere. Right. And tons of rain, tons of rain, tons of rain. I mean, we used to we used to say when I was an import you know, there um, in Seattle, it's like everyone said, oh, it rains all the time. It's gross. It rains all the time. It was like, well, that's what everybody tells the tourists because we don't want to tell everybody that you actually get absolutely gorgeous weather and lush landscape the rest of the time. So that has been changing yes. with global warming. Yeah. Yes, it has. Um, one of the most significant differences, I think, are the extreme temperatures Mm. um, in the summer, it never used to get this hot first off. And if it did, we were just talking about this this morning, my mother-in-law is here visiting and she also Mm -hmm. grew up on Vancouver Island. Mm. And um, we were trying to think about the kind of hottest temperatures and the, the heat streaks that we might have experienced back then. And we're thinking it was only ever above of course I'm talking in Celsius here only Mm -hmm. ever above 30 degrees Celsius maybe one or two days out of the year maybe Mm -hmm. and those days would be like you get out the slip and slide it's a rare occasion you know everybody's under a sprinkler um but now it's weeks on end Mm -hmm. with that heat and no water, which is the other big difference that um, we've noticed. Uh, we go months without any rain, and then mm-hmm. we'll go months with what feels like nothing but rain. Uh, and that juxtaposition is not great for um, many things, uh, one of which that's important to me pollinators. I'm a beekeeper. And that's really hard on pollinators. Yeah. So we've noticed a big change in um, that kind of population, but also 
what that means for the plant life there and Mm. um, harvest for fruits Mm -hmm. and vegetables. And um, yeah, it's, it's become so much more extreme in terms of weather that it's just harder for things um, to live here when they're used to it being just more mild and consistent all year round. And that's, that's uh, so hard to imagine. It's so hard to imagine a place that's just had uh, uh, such a sense of water security mm-hmm. across the board for not just people, but for every living ecosystem within that region and every other species that is dependent upon a verdant, abundant landscape like that to, as you say now, um, you know, to be feeling, dealing with water scarcity. And I know Governor Inslee was, was, has been a great leader and champion for water rights, water conservation, but looking at the whole um, climate impact affecting water, um, and just I just want to quickly insert here for uh, our audience again, you know, just a, it's a reminder that the hydrological cycle is one of the things so impacted by global warming, meaning the cycle of precipitation and, and water runoff flowing back into the ocean and then evaporation. And it sort of keeps our, our blue planet, a water planet. And you look at an ecosystem like the Pacific Northwest, like the boreal forests above and, and beyond that have counted on water so much. When, you, when you're dumping so many greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, it traps more heat. The more heat that's trapped affects the hydrological cycle because it warms that, that encasing, the atmosphere within that encasing um, layer. And what happens is you get... Um, Uh, much, much larger quantities of water coming up from warm water from the ocean. You get these atmospheric rivers and rain bombs that happen erratically. But because the temperatures are hotter, you get all of the water getting sucked up out of the earth a lot faster too. So there can be massive rainfall, but there's still massive fast uh, evaporation. And so a drought perpetuates itself. And that we think of that. I know when I talk to people about that, they're like, oh, you're in California. Oh, you're in the Southwest. I'm like, I haven't always been. It's happening in the Northwest. Absolutely there. And this has been um, a while, although, um, you know, I'm in my 40s. So the amount of time that this has been really impactful um, has kind of been in my early adulthood when things started to be noticeably different for me, where I was just thinking something is weird here. Yeah, something's off. Something's off. And um, in the Pacific Northwest, we should not be experiencing drought. It, It it's still shocking to me because we do all of our um, ecosystem is reliant on that constant kind of um, small amounts of water. Right. And that's another key change that I've noticed. Um, Mm -hmm. Usually it's just soft rainfalls, traditionally kind of very misty, you know, almost foggy, just uh, uh, almost not humid, but you can feel the, it's moist in the area. Right. That is not at all a thing anymore, certainly in the summer. And in the fall and spring, 
when we should be experiencing this kind of gentle and consistent rainfall, we have been um, experiencing torrential downpours and much more extreme weather events. Mm -hmm. And that combined with drought is straight up dangerous. And um, Mm -hmm. a lot Mm -hmm. of our kind of ground cover and the plants that we really need to hold onto our earth are dying because of the drought and then being washed away when the torrential rain comes. And there's been a lot of landslides, mudslides, um, flash floods. These things are new. Mm -hmm. These are a direct kind of result of climate change. And um, it's scary to think of how that could look in just a a couple of years, knowing how different it has felt in the last, you know, decade. Well, and, and as we sit here, the, the live airing of this, because I know a lot of people listen to things later, but the live airing of this podcast is the third week of August, 2023. And as we speak, there have been wildfires raging across Canada of all places. And it's precisely because, you know, when you've got uh, a warmed ecosystem like this that is dried out, you've got all this fuel, mm-hmm. all these forests are fuel. And of course, it just really raises up the, the tar sands, which is one of the biggest uh, oil extraction operations in Alberta with some of the most toxic oil on the planet. And again, um, a, a, an international global call to have all of us do everything we can to stop being dependent upon fossil fuels. And fossil fuels, again, for our listening audience, are coal, which is pretty much going away in the US. It's still abundant in some other places. In the US, it's going away. It's oil, which is actually a field that is declining, oil extraction, because wind and solar are on the rise. But it also includes natural gas. There's been a lot of green watching about natural gas. It is not green. It's a huge emitter of methane, which is a carbon bomb um, or greenhouse gas bomb. And so, you know, doing everything we can to move away from these things, especially in the next decade, can try to help reverse some of the damage we're seeing because of the pollution that's already happened. So thank you for allowing me to insert that in there. Yeah, thank Um, you. Yeah, so, phew, are you seeing, because I know Washington is considered uh, certainly in the in the Puget Sound area has been considered pretty hip pretty green pretty sustainable mm-hmm. are you seeing efforts there to really address the water crisis the climate crisis the biodiversity crisis at all I think so yeah um, but it's hard to know um, you you mentioned kind of greenwashing it's hard to know what information people are receiving Mm -hmm. and if it's accurate or not. So I'm worried that um, there's a lot of kind of good marketing around um, in quotations, green initiatives that in fact are not. And Mm -hmm. um, I think social media is a, a major problem with that up here. And there's, there's an incredible, um, incredible population of active youth here in the Pacific Northwest. And um, I think that the, a lot of the kind of initiatives are being really driven by our youth and their fear for the damage that we've done and people before us. 
for the future. And my hope is that there is going to be um, sources of information for them that is accurate and easily accessible um, because uh, sometimes the information, like you mentioned, is just not right. And so people will make a, a, a switch that they think is going to do better. And it's either a kind of linear move or mm-hmm. it's actually worse. And mm-hmm. um, that's a concern of mine, I think. But definitely mm-hmm. people um, here are maybe more aware of the natural environment than in other places because we are, we're kind of an outdoorsy culture, mm-hmm. right? We spend a lot of time Mm -hmm. in nature if we can that's generally speaking of course this isn't everybody but generally speaking someone from the pacific northwest is going to love camping and love being in the forest and love being out on the water and as soon as they can get out and spend time outside in any kind of capacity they are for as long as they can so I feel like they're motivated to Mm -hmm. um, make sure that we're doing the best we can by our planet because they're Mm -hmm. so kind of um, immersed in Mm -hmm. its beauty and wonder. Um, Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of messaging out there that is Mm -hmm. kind of tough to weed through. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you too. in that, um, being in an environment that places a premium on nature connection mm-hmm. is a, you know, there are a lot of places where the majority of people spend the majority of their time every day connected to the devices or gadgets that we've created and right. uh, spending a lot of time in, in, in digital space, cyberspace, like, like we're doing <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Uh, for purpose AI, but, but really needing to balance that with, with being, being an earthling, being biological. Yes and getting out there uh, into nature and really knowing your wild neighbors, knowing the flora and the fauna you live among, knowing, um, knowing who's there with you. I, yeah. I just wanted to lift up your excellent point about hoping that people have um, responsible sources. There, there are two, um, well, there's an organization called earth.org. And if you go to uh, earth.org, slash what is greenwashing they have a pretty good explanation of what it is and there are a lot of watchdog groups including all of the big predictable environmental groups that will be able to um, explain what is greenwashing and who are some of the worst offenders and fossil fuel companies have been the worst offenders for over 40 years they've been outright lying and continue to um and an organization I will promote here, I think they do an excellent job. It costs nothing to sign up to their newsletter and you get a lot of updates, um, which, which are very credible, is just EcoWatch. Mm-hmm. Uh, EcoWatch is excellent and you can follow them on a variety of social media, but um, it's www.ecowatch.com. Um they're they're very good. So to to that point, those are two um, sources for our listening audience. There, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot a little bit here because one of the things that's really interesting about you is that you are a certified aromatherapist. I am, indeed. 
tell me about your work with aromatherapy, like for the uninitiated, what is it? What does it mean? Sure. Um, How did you get into it? (laughs) I've been working with essential oils for many, many years. um, And what it means to be a kind of professional aromatherapist and certified level two, what is all that? Um, It just means there's a required amount of training and testing and um, furthering education, ongoing education that needs to happen for a person to um, receive a different level, level one, level two, level three. Um, Level three is the highest. It's uh, clinical. It's only um, even possible to become a level three aromatherapist if you are a nurse or um, anything that's medically kind of above that, if you will. Um, And you are using it professionally in a hospital or a similar environment. And um, so in a nutshell, aromatherapy is using um, essential oils and um, other plant extracted oils to um, heal, to heal the mind, body, and spirit. Um, Mm -hmm. As a witch, I also um, use them for magical purposes. And that is kind of my specialty. I really... Um, I just love it. That's the juicy stuff for me. Mm-hmm. And um, it is a little bit tricky though, Char, because essential oils are not without a pretty significant carbon footprint. Mm. So ethically, it's um, I, I need to be really aware of that fact when I'm working with essential oils and other plant extracts. Mm, okay, I want to hear more about that in a in a minute because that's really important, um, and that's true of a lot of things mm-hmm. that those of us in nature based religions who are healers who are doing magic working, um, our plant sources, the sources of our material do matter. There's there if you're extracting things in a way that's damaging to the planet, to the plant itself, to the animal, you know, it's 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 bad mojo, <laughs> bad, yeah. you know juju or whatever you might call it. it's like not not helpful and so there's an ethic around that that's really important to know um but but just in backing up for a second when you're when you're talking about essential oils from plants are we talking i mean people think plant aromas mm-hmm. you know at the at the, the the most base crass level glade you've got lavender i mean something like that that's just you know commercial and not not what you're doing but when you're thinking i'm i work in palliative care I've got people, patients who are, um, have cancer. And so it's whole person care, it's body, mind, spirit, and they love aromatherapy mm-hmm. in their healing process. They might like rose, or they'll talk about eucalyptus or how, how does that work? The plant aromas, how, how are they selected for therapeutic purposes? If you can say something about that. Yeah, sure. Um, it's interesting that you um, mentioned that specifically. There's there's quite a lot of research on um, how our bodies respond to aroma. And mm. aroma is actually the first thing that our body senses and responds to before we even actually are aware that we are taking in an aroma. So yeah. when you smell something, it's recognizable in some way as, oh, I'm smelling something, mm. right? 
before you recognize, oh, I'm smelling something, your body has already responded to that, to those molecules that are in your body. Mm. So there's a few different things that are happening. Um, One of them is the kind of physiological response from the um, chemical components of uh, plant extract. And an essential oil specifically is an extract that is um, skimmed out of plants through steam distillation, specifically Mm. steam distillation. And technically speaking, that's the only way to get a true essential oil. There's other ways to extract, but technically speaking, it has to be steam distilled to be a true essential oil. Mm. And so um, you do get this very concentrated um, and intensely aromatic substance that is in fact, not an oil, technically, again, it's more of an alcohol when we're talking about um, Ah. chemical makeup of it. Um, But they are so concentrated that um, they are, I don't think there's a single one that isn't highly antibacterial, they are mostly really antiviral. Um, They have these qualities that are physiologically therapeutic to our bodies. So we can Mm. use them in that way. And there's quite a lot of research on that, but there's the emotional aspect where, um, two things are kind of taking place primarily. One is again, this, uh, physiological response in how our hormones respond and what that does for what we feel, but then also there are, um, smell memories. And that is a huge part of healing especially in palliative care and um, the association Mm -hmm. that we have with different aromas and how um, that affects our kind of overall well-being is massive. Mm -hmm. And that I think is um, something that is so beautiful about living in the Pacific Northwest is that it smells green here. Mm -hmm. When, and moist. when you, you and can it smells smell moist. the resins in the trees and the the moisture underfoot from the mosses and it's it's you can capture that in an essential oil which is really special so um being able to kind of um bring nature to you if you will in spaces if you if you are ill or are just somewhere where you can't have easy access to natural spaces essential oils can be a really great tool to kind of bring those natural experiences of um, immersion in nature a forest or a a floral environment garden um, bring that to you by using the extracts of essential oils Oh, yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense, too. And especially because all of us have preferences in some way for our spiritual bioregions that where, as you say, sensorially, if we're in a place, we just know this is where home is. Like for me, the rainforest all along, you know, Cascadia, all the way up, you know, is is my home, right, wherever I am along. And And you're right, it's the smells I can come I can smell the marine turf, whether I'm in the forested part of it or or more um, uh, sage, you know, landscape or dune landscape, it smells like that. And when I've had to live in other places in a short-term way to have an essential oil of like a a sage, that's a coastal sage 
from this area would would send me journeying right (laughs) right back home and how healing is that what an incredible thing to be able to do is to to have something in your hand that you can um transport yourself um and make this connection with other places in the world places that are meaningful um for various reasons it's powerful stuff I love that. And especially uh, because I deal with a lot of homebound patients too, just the thought of being able to bring that to them so that they can experience that's, that's a a lovely therapeutic use of that. I'm also thinking a lot about uh, plant spirit medicine, and I'm not sure if that applies here. Um, What do you think? I think that it does. And it uh, is different. So I definitely, of course, this is going to be different for every person that works with plant medicines. In my experience, working with kind of the spirit of an essential oil is distinctly different than working with a living plant spirit that has, Mm. um, and even, even like dried plants, plants that have been harvested, um, for me, they feel, uh, a lot closer to the like living plant than they do in essential oil. There's something that happens, I think, um, I guess in the processing of it that changes, um, that changes the spirit somehow. And it becomes for me, um, it becomes more, it it's almost like motivated. It's, it has a, a type of a motivation that, is um, it's purposeful in a way that a living plant doesn't need to worry about us or think about us. It has its own life. And of course it, it, um, it, you know, has an interaction with us, but it doesn't, it doesn't need to, to think, how can I help this person? But the spirit Mm. of an essential oil feels Mm. like motivated to do something to make positive change in the world and specifically with um, how it interacts with humans. It's uh, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's hard to explain as many kind of spiritual things are, but it to me feels like a type of motivation. So that the very process of extracting this essence is mm-hmm. it's almost like you're saying a, com- not a compulsion, but a motivation to do, to do something positive with that. Wow. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's but I'm going to guess, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut nope. you off. I'm going to guess it has to do with how we're extracting it and how we're respecting it in the process too. Yes, absolutely. And that's, um, kind of a critical point, I think also, um, one, the, the history of uh, from plant to bottle, if you will, that whole story involves so many steps um, that the more steps, the kind of um, not worse it is, but, you know, you want the footprint as small and as short as possible. You want the, mm. the story in between how it got onto your shelf and mm. from a living plant. You want that story to be as short as possible mm-hmm. because, um, you know, it, it can involve many things that are um, not that great for the earth. And again, that goes back to kind of 
the ethics of essential oils and sourcing and being aware of its whole story. And um, I mean, there's also the aspect of the plant itself. A lot of plants are being harvested that are endangered. A lot of plants are being, you know, wiped out to make essential oils. And it's important to note that essential oils, um, their, their number one kind of use is in the commercial space. It's not you and I that are purchasing an essential oil to, um, to help heal in some way. This is flavoring. This is Mm. perfuming. This is a million Mm -hmm. other uses that we, we don't even associate essential oils with, but um, it's very possible that um, an essential oil that you want to buy on a shelf has a gruesome history. And um, Mm. it's important to really pay attention to that, I think, especially as kind of earth centered spiritual people. Um, that matters in in a in a profound way um, on many levels, and that applies to just about everything else that would relate to um, just uh, our way of being on the planet. Whether yes. it comes to the food we eat, you're saying here essential oils participating in so many commercial uses that once again the manufacturing process has completely disconnected yes. the source of that smell from from. I mean, we're so disconnected from it. It's so embedded and hidden. We we have no no more nature connection there at all. You know, yeah. we're just buying buying a commodity, and, right. and don't don't track it back to where did this come from and at what cost and what responsibility do we have to this living plant, this living flora species, and everything and everyone that touches the species. You mentioned pollinators. Other species dependent upon it. You know, what would make this relationship a sustainable cooperation, a better relationship than extracting, producing, commercializing? Yeah, exactly. So so do you have something to say about that? I mean, is there a way to do that? Is there a responsible source? Well, um, I'm writing a lot about this right now. And I think that the, Uh for me, the biggest message that I would like to kind of put out there is for every individual, we all have our own shade of green. And what does that mean for each of us as individuals? Where, what are our personal deal breakers? I think we need to start Mm. with identifying what those are. Um, If a plant is endangered, obviously that's a deal breaker right? So we need to know what specific plant it is. And you can only know that through a botanical Latin botanical name um, to be able to be specific about where a plant, uh, what type of plant it is and where it's coming from. Mm -hmm. That makes a massive difference. So starting with that, I think um, people can make a lot of change. So just um, reading a bottle and finding out what it is, where it's from, and researching if that in itself, just those two things, if that in itself is producing harm that they are um, not willing to support. And you will be shocked (laughs) at how often that is a problem. Wow. It's very upsetting. 
Um, but at the same time, there are so many resources available that are very much paying attention to that and um, yes, are, yeah. are being um, thoughtful and mindful in ways that are important, um, not just the plant kind of sourcing, like its variety and where it's from, but many other things like um, the energy that's the way that they get the energy to process it, for example. There's many companies that are thinking, if I'm using some kind of fossil fuel-based energy production to make this steam, to distill this thing, is that ethical? And they Mm -hmm. often will say no. And so there's, you know, solar-powered places that Mm -hmm. they're really thinking about all kind of aspects of Mm -hmm. going from living plant to bottle. Mm -hmm. And um, there's extremely um, eco-thoughtful cases, and there's extremely distant and commercial Mm -hmm. Um, cases that just don't care or even take any of that into consideration. So finding out where your deal breakers are in that spectrum Mm -hmm. and just getting the um, kind of basic information to help you make an informed decision, uh, that makes a massive difference. And also noting that we don't need a ton of essential oils. You don't need a ton of essential oils. Mm. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm thinking here of, of, the person or, or the certain advertisers who have like, here's a diffuser and here you get 50 essential oils and little plastic vials, you know, terrible. That's yes. going to be like sweatshop, super, super extractive, you know, and, and, and it's for 30 bucks, you know, so you're, <laughs> you're constantly doing that, but that is not, I mean, you could have maybe two or three. Absolutely. I'm thinking, I'm thinking budget two or three that have a deep, profound, personal, spiritual connection that you have researched, you know, are responsibly harvested, distilled, brought to market for the same amount of money, be doing so much for yourself, for the planet, for the plant, right? Yes, absolutely. And um, another little known fact is that if you develop a relationship with a professional aromatherapist, like I need to have many Mm. different essential oils, right? It's part of my profession. So um, it's a bit different, but um, so you could say, okay, I want to work this magic and I would really love to have, you know, rose essential oil and whatever else, I don't know, lime essential oil, et cetera. And you don't need to go and buy a bottle of rose and lime. You can just call up your local aromatherapist that you know and say I'd like to buy two drops of rose essential oil five drops of lime essential oil and just get what you need that's a little known resource I think yeah no that's the way to do it that's the way to do it in my opinion and um and then like you said have you know maybe three really important essential oils to you that you use all the time that you have a really profound relationship with. And there's so much crossover in their therapeutic benefits on every level that it's really possible to just have a few and do hundreds of different things with. So, Mm, mm. yeah. 
And also I'm, I'm, I'm guessing as an aromatherapist too, someone could call up and say, I don't know what scent I'm needing, but I have, I'm dealing with a lot of uh, anxiousness. It's circumstantial, but I can't, and I don't want to take meds and I'm, and, and I just need to, or something like they have a yeah, condition. I mean, that's situation. literally my job. And okay. So there's the therapist part of it where you're saying, well, I would recommend then this in this mixture concoction to this extent. Right. And then, yeah. Okay. Okay. I got you. I got you. So for our listening audience, uh, try to, uh, how, how do people find who are legit aromatherapists in their area? Well, um, there is the National Association of Holistic Aromatherapy. It's NAHA or NAHA. Um, this is kind of considered the, the standard of, um, where people get kind of that type of information because technically it's not regulated by a government or anything like that. So they are this kind of oversight, this, this body that, that um, says, we believe that these are important um, qualifications. These are requirements and um, they are a little bit of a watchdog in that way for, um, for aromatherapists. So going to Naha um, and looking at your area, there's, um, I believe it's, you can actually go on their website and um, search by a zip code, like who is in your kind of radius, by by X amount of miles. And they used to have that. I'm pretty sure they still would. And that can be really helpful. Um, and it can should- I, can I, can I interrupt you? Yeah. Uh, I guess I'm interrupting you. Sorry, but I mean, I, I went to Naha. There you go. As we're speaking. So it's uh, HTTPS, but, but it's N-A-H-A, Naha, as you said, dot org. Yep. The National Association for Holistic Aromatherapy, Naha.org. It's got about explore, um, safety, resource, uh, membership, education, store, marketplace, um, find an aromatherapist. I'm going there right go. there. Um, just like you said, and you uh, enter information and they will help you find an aromatherapist in your area. So like, are you registered with them? Is that the kind of thing? And someone would find you? Is that kind of it? That's it. And so um, I think that's the kind of best way because ideally um, COVID really changed a lot of things for people, but ideally you should be in person with an aromatherapist because of this kind of subjective element. It's really important to um, sit with a professional and experience these aromas to fully understand if that's going to be helpful or hurtful. And um, because, you know, one person's um, true joy is another person's childhood trauma in terms of aromas. You never know like what smell memories are associated with things. So finding someone nearby is um, an important thing. And then you have that resource. You have that resource for drops. You have that resource for information. Um, They can help you figure out kind of what your deal breakers are and sourcing good um, essential oils for your needs. Yeah. Highly recommend working with a professional. 
And you can tell them that what's important to you is ethically Absolutely. distracted. Uh, another, I just want to say this because it came up with a friend of mine. And I, I work with rescue dogs a lot where sometimes the oils and smells that we're working with are not helpful for pets in the home. So mm-hmm. I'm imagining working with an aromatherapist like yourself, I'd be able to sort of scope out this is the environment and how to use them and other considerations like kids and pets and things like that, right? hundred percent. And there's um, <clears throat> even aromatherapists that everybody will have their kind of specialty minus spiritual aromatherapy uh, one might guess. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, some are um, that's what they focus on. They focus on um, animal aromatherapy. So things that are actually designed to be therapeutic for animals, but then also the other side of that coin is what's dangerous that what are we using that we aren't aware could be potentially harmful for our household pets. And, um, you know, even diffusing an essential oil, any essential oil for a really long time is not good for anybody, including us. And that's kind of something that, um, is overlooked in a lot of aromatherapy marketing. Um, yeah, like we really, we shouldn't be running an essential oil diffuser for an hour or an hour at a time, like an hour to me is kind of max, maybe an hour and a half a day Mm -hmm. max. Like Mm -hmm. it should not be running all day. That's, Mm -hmm. that's too much. That's way too much for our bodies and certainly for the tinier bodies and bodies that um, metabolize Mm -hmm. those essential oils in very different ways. So Mm -hmm. yeah, all of those things, um, are uh are learned about in our education and people really specialize right in that area too who knew that aromatherapy had such a profound connection to the hydrological cycle to use of fossil fuels or not moving away to different sources of energy to the climate crisis and solutions again why i love this is that um uh, the marketplace so often will drive change. Mm-hmm. And for those of us who use things, aromatherapy, essential oils for all kinds of purposes to keep demanding that they be responsibly sourced, they be responsibly produced, working with certified aromatherapists like yourself for all of our per- personal or commercial uses, um, you know, that can really change an industry. And every time we help to change an industry through customer demand, usually we help to change the problem. <laughs> so it's like hundred percent. Yeah. If I could drop a shout out to, mm-hmm. um, for our listeners, there's a really good resource. Uh, uh, Dr. Kelly Ablard has, a, a nonprofit called the Airmid Institute and it's A-I-R-M-I-D Institute. And she has, this is her life's work. She, she is focused on um, ensuring that the uh, essential oil kind of industry is not damaging our planet. <laughs> so in, mm. in every different way, culturally, um, mm. ecologically, there's a million resources on her website. And Mm. the best thing that I could suggest to people Mm. is to, if you can become a member, it's, I think maybe $50 a year or something like that. Mm. Um, She sends out twice a year, a list of um, 
an updated list of essential oils, where they are sourced from, what specific variety of plant it is, and um, and if it's endangered, if it's in uh, susceptible, if it's of least concern. So really, I mean, this used to take me hours of researching in different mm-hmm. organizations trying to get that type of information. And she now does it all through her organization and provides this list twice a year that says, you might want to rethink these oils from these places. And this is why it's an incredible resource. Can you say that again? Say, say the whole thing. Aramid Institute. Spell and it. Dr. Kelly Ablard is, um, is her name. Okay. And you said A-I-R-M-I-D. Yes. Institute. Okay. Yes. Excellent. Thank you. So again, we've got so far, just to, to summarize some of the links we're um, putting on this podcast for people to do your own homework. If you want to know about greenwashing, earth.org and others, you can also just look up greenwashing, anti-greenwashing. EcoWatch is an excellent basic um, EcoWatch, exactly what it says it is. Naha.org, the National Association of Holistic Aromatherapists. Yes, to find an aromatherapist certified like DRE near you. Um, definitely the way to go to get proper consultation and guidance and probably to save money in the long run because you're really focus- focusing what you do, just like dried herbs or anything else that you might be using. And yep. then Air Mid Institute. You got it. Okay. Wow. That's excellent. So, Bringing it back around to the boreal forest, to the, yes. the evergreen state where you're now living, iconic Pacific Northwest changing in yes. a time of climate change. We have to acknowledge that reality. Is there, is there a kind of aromatherapy for ourselves or an aromatherapy for that region? that ecosystem mm-hmm. that maybe we might explore. I'm just throwing that out there. If anything comes to mind, any, any plants in particular from that area we want to respect might work with. I would recommend um, looking into working with black spruce essential oil. Mm. Um, it is, Using a black spruce essential oil is kind of like um, a little forest in a bottle. It's undeniably evergreen. And one of the beautiful things about most tree-based essential oils um, is that they have this kind of um, divine aspect of above and below they have these extending Mm. branches and height and these um, deep roots that are feeding Mm -hmm. from the kind of wisdom of the earth and uh, being able to tap into that and experience the aroma of that to help with a meditation of any type of course I recommend a healing meditation for ourselves for our communities for our planet Mm. I think that um having that aroma around us when we're doing that type of work really helps uh, ground us, get us in place and in touch with um, our most important um, mother really. And yeah. it's, 
incredible the difference that it makes um, having those aromas and the energy of the essential oils in that work. It, it is noticeably different. So I highly recommend people try that out. And um, mm. it's a special experience, I think. It's, they, they are profoundly magical and often are underneath the aurora borealis while they're growing. And it's just, I mean, just thinking about it gives me magic tingles on my arms and legs. It's uh, quite a extraordinary essential oils. So worth oh, checking out. That makes sense to me. So if I, cause I'm going to do this, if, yes. if I, uh, and I love the thought of, of black spruce, which, you know, um, h- here I was generically going cedar pine fir, cause I don't know better. Right. Which is again, the reason why it's so great to consult with an actual aroma. Sure, but those are also too. great options. Yeah. But, but the black <laughs> spruce in particular, the way you, the way you describe it and why makes even more potent sense to me. So if I wanted to connect with one of the places I call home, that, mm-hmm. that ecosystem there, getting some black spruce, I, and I wanted to do sort of um, before I do my activism, I wanted yes. to really connect with, you know, um, the stressed ecosystem there that's needing support, that's needing prayer, that's needing, needing healing. I could be using black spruce essential oil to connect me, which is therapeutic for me to home and also to send working positive healing, working forward to that area. Right. Absolutely. And, and bringing down divine energy and, and having that, um, the divinity within us just kind of explode out. It's very powerful. Um, having um, the environment that it lives in is is hard, right? And they're so resilient and they're incredibly strong, but flexible at the same time. And, and um, under the magic of the stars and the aurora borealis and all of the things that are happening in that forest, like this is captured in um, a meditative experience with an essential oil from from there it's it's Mm. you can feel it and Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. i feel it coming across cyberspace (laughs) yes you can you can really connect in a way that um is different and and hopefully more profound for us um but also um more healing for the world and Mm -hmm. um and to to help us channel the divine and um, heal ourselves, each other, and our world. And right now, resilience, resiliency is a big issue. Mm-hmm. Um, biodiversity, resiliency, ecosystem resilience, community resiliency, these are big, big needs. And I'm thinking that black spruce essential oil, you know, it literally the image you created that the tree canopy and the deep roots in that, that as above, so below gives that a very different kind of meaning, a prayer of resilience as above and so below, you know, like the black spruce. I mean, what a, what a connection. I, I feel a work. I feel a working coming on. Oh, good. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Anything else? This has been so enriching. Uh, Learn something every time. Never, never thought I'd be talking about climate change and aromatherapy this way, but what a fascinating 
set of connections. And I'm so grateful for the work you do uh, therapeutically and also as an advocate and an educator. Really look forward to that book. (laughs) I want to see the, the book finished when you get it done. I hope you'll be shouting out to everybody about it. Anything that you would want to before we wrap up here? Mm. I think um, I would just say to um, remember that um, divinity are, we are part of nature. We Mm -hmm. are natural beings. We are animals on this planet and to not forget that um, Mm -hmm. in our kind of cerebral existence it's easy to forget that we are just an animal, mm. just another animal. And it's important for us to think about our um, surroundings in that way and to try and work with our environment and our planet instead of um, taking from it and, and uh, extracting, 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 but try to think of ways that we can work together and more um, harmoniously. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that can be um, inspiration for that can be accessed through our own uh, divinity, our own natural kind of primal selves and Mm -hmm. to connect with that as often as possible. Mm. Terrific said. Dree, thank you so much for joining me. What a what a rich episode. Um, and folks, that wraps up this installment of Blue Marble Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you value what you heard here today, please share this information with others. New Blue Marble Podcasts air live on the third Friday of every month, but they are available for listening anytime after they air through our channel on Blog Talk Radio. So you go to www.blogtalkradio.com slash CSNP. Uh, you can search for Blue Marble with Rev Shar Bear and you will find the archive of these podcasts. Click on any you want to hear or download for later listening. And you can also follow our podcasts on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash CSN podcasts. Finally, you'll find a complete archive of hundreds of programs by all of our excellent podcasters on the Circle Sanctuary website, which is www.circlesanctuary.org. Look under the CSNP tab. So until next time, this is Charbert signing off. Thank you for all the good you do. Stay true and blue. And hey, I hope to see you in the green space. Thank you for joining us on the Circle Sanctuary Network podcast presented by Circle Sanctuary and produced for all who follow nature-centered paths. Join us throughout the week for various programming connecting with the community around the world. Please don't forget to watch for updates on the Circle Sanctuary website at www.circlesanctuary.org. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash CSN podcasts. We can also be found on your favorite podcast hosting sites such as iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and others. Until next time, many blessings. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.